Welcome to Planttopia. I'm your host, David Godori, and I'm a plant pathologist at Cornell University. Any listeners who have never met a real live plant pathologist can be forgiven. We are a very low visibility, but very high impact profession. We protect the world's food supply from disease-causing fungi, bacteria, viruses, and nematodes, all of which want to eat your lunch. This time on Planttopia. So I think that's really what the power of agricultural robots are, is that they can gather information for human decision-making at incredible scales that we just haven't been able to have access to before. And once we integrate these two pieces of work, we will be able to deploy the hyperspectral robot in the vineyard to identify, you know, pre-symptom disease. If you liked our last episode on robotics and agriculture, then hang on as we kick things up a notch and see what happens as robots move from a close quarters battle with plant diseases at the microscopic level to technologies applied at ever-increasing distances and even from space. Disease is this chaotic... um nebulous necrotic mess that results from a series of very regular and controlled plant pathogen interactions. So by breaking disease down into its constituent components via both biological and statistical dimensionality reduction, we can really get at the true features that are driving our ability to use sensors and robots for disease detection. We'll not only learn how robots are helping us fight plant diseases in the present tense, but we'll catch a glimpse of a future of sustainable production that would have been unimaginable just 10 years ago. That's today on Plantopia. Hi, I'm Katie Gold. I'm an assistant professor of grape pathology at Cornell University, and I lead the Grape Sensing Pathology and Extension Lab at Cornell, otherwise known as GrapeSpec. Hello, everybody. My name is uh, Yu Jiang. I'm currently assistant research professor at Cornell Agritech. Uh, I'm leading uh, the Cyber Agriculture Intelligence and Robotics Lab, mainly focusing on the systems engineering and the data analytics for specialty crops. I'm, I'm going to start with you. Uh, but Katie, you can just kind of barge in at any point. Uh, that's what and, I'm good at. Okay. You didn't need to give me permission. I was going to do uh, it anyway. <laughs> so people are somewhat familiar with with robotics and, and in fact now we have some level of robotics in some homes we have the Roomba robotic uh, vacuum cleaners but somewhere between that domestic robot that's vacuuming your floor and the science fiction version that's in the Terminator where it has an artificial intelligence and can mimic a human there's the reality of, of robots presently being used in agriculture so what are they doing? Are they just driving tractors in place of a human operator, or are they doing more complex tasks? Yeah, that's also, I think, first, it depends on the specific applications we are talking about. For example, if we're talking about the vacuum machine, for sure, you know, uh, we probably don't need a very complex AI technologies because most of our furnitures are fixed. And most of our floor plan is, is uh, kind of quite open for most of the homes. So that's a reason uh, with some simple uh, sensing feedback, with some simple control algorithms, we can make so-called vacuuming uh, robot available for, for most of us. But uh, if we go to see the agriculture uh, field, 
that's much more complex than a, a home floor. And in that regard, we have to think about how to use you know more complex control algorithms to make those machines you know work autonomously. And in in, in that direction, uh, a critical technical challenge is that how we can really use a very simple, gorgeous, and cost-efficient way to make those machines to do things autonomously in those very complex and unpredictable situations. So that's where we talk about AI and, and could use those technologies to help. So yeah, I want to jump in there. Hold on. I, I was just going to ask you, Katie. I, I was going to ask, what, what is it the robots... What is it that robots can do that robots are really good at that humans are not? Well, I think what robots are really good at is expanding human capacity to different scales, whether you're going to deep dive, zoom in to a scale that'd be too impractical for a human to see, such as sticking your eyeball down onto the plane of a little leaf to count how many sporangia are there, or zooming out in the opposite sense to um, monitoring a landscape scale that a human couldn't do even if they wanted to. So I think that's really what the power of agricultural robots are, is that they can gather information for human decision making at incredible scales that we just haven't been able to have access to before. So Katie, you've got an interesting background. I, I know I do. you did a postdoc at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory with NASA. Now, what is a plant pathologist doing with the National Aeronautics and Space Administration? You know, I asked myself that quite a bit. Um, <laughs> what is a plant pathologist doing with NASA? Well, I'm doing what any other plant pathologist does, which is studying plant disease. So my program studies the fundamental and applied science of plant disease sensing. And we study at a variety of scales. We study at the, you know, the microscopic scale. We also study at the satellite level. So that's what we do with NASA. We study plant disease at scale in terms of mostly asymptomatic detection, as well as uh, prediction and monitoring. Obviously, you're not sitting up in a spaceship looking down on the earth and seeing what's going on with the crops. This no, that would be quite fun, some, this, this would require some relatively complicated sensors. So what's involved in doing that? Sure. So we work with in situ and imaging spectroscopy. So spectroscopy is the study of how light reflects off of objects. In our case, we study vegetative spectroscopy or how light reflects off of plant vegetation. The sort of spectrometers we use, so our eyes can see a range of about 300 wavelengths. We use spectrometers that can see a range, oh, seven times that. We see over 2,000 different wavelengths. And the power of using these devices is that they actually capture light that's both directly and indirectly, indirectly interacting with uh, plant constituents and biochemistry. So I mentioned that we study asymptomatic disease detection because that's truly what's most useful. I mean, once you see disease, it's kind of too too late to do too much about it, to be honest. This is sensing radiation far outside the wavelengths that the human eye can see. Yes, well, reflectance, but yes. I think that's another beauty of having robotics system. So now you see we have different sensing systems. For example, the hyperspectral imaging Kitty just mentioned. But also I think we heard a lot recently about the LiDAR systems, uh, refers to uh, light range and sensing radar, which uh, being widely used for uh, autonomous-driven cars. I think uh, for human, even we have the computers with us or maybe cell phones with us, 
we still are hard to interpret those data, but just looking at the raw、uh, output from those sensors. But if we have the robots, we can deploy other computing devices with other、uh, data analytics tools there, so that we can make those complex and、uh, high-dimensional data、uh, readily available for human to interpret. And that's another、exactly. thing the robot can help human operators. Yeah. So the robotics is what enables us to work across these different scales. You can't go directly from the microscope to the satellite without a lot of help in between. So the robots that we use, whether it's Lance's Blackbird or use Phytopathologot, that's what helps us bridge those scales to gather the information we need to make those connections between these distant scales of study. So it sounds like you've got three convergent technologies working here. You've you've got mechanics,、um, you have sensing,、uh, and then you also have intelligence. And it's the integration of those three that really is pushing this technology forward and 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 discovering new uses for it, new applications. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.、Um, I I think specifically for robotics, I think that's also where.、Um, I see many young generations are highly interested in, but robotics itself is a highly interdisciplinary、uh, subject. Even within the engineering and computer science domain, it, it doesn't necessarily just、uh, robotics itself, but it involves several fundamental subjects like mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, computer science, computer engineering. Just a lot of things now, and don't forget the, the biology. The biology、yeah. too. What are the robots、yeah. looking at? Yeah, with the agriculture, we really want to involve more plant biologies with a lot of、uh, agronomists, and those are great, you know, components when we talk about agriculture robots. If robots do more than just move things around, what are some of the more interesting things、uh, that they're doing? Well, they can scout too. I mean, so、uh, the very first、uh, robotic imaging system—well, it's not really robotic—would be the human eye.、Um, but our robots are basically expanding the capacity of the human eye in terms of finding disease to scales that we've never had access to before. So, use Phytopathologot. It's the little scouting robot,、um, and it's able to gather information at about the equivalent performance of my veteran field specialist who helped train the robot too. So with disease, once you find it, there's a lot you can do. There's a lot of diagnostic tools that we already have. There's already established guidelines about what to do when you find disease. But the challenge with it, disease, really is that you can't find it, and you can't find it at the earliest stages where your intervention is going to be the most useful and most successful. And that's what our robots are doing for us. They're finding disease at the earliest stages where our intervention is going to be the most successful. So, the Robots using these enabling systems can see what we can see. They can spot a powdery mildew colony or a lesion. They can、uh, enumerate diseases in the field. But when they're able to see wavelengths other than what we can see, they can even do more. They can possibly spot the development of a disease really before we could ever see it, and possibly before it's ever done any damage. Yep, is this where I come in? Jump in, Katie. <laughs> yeah. So our ability to use the data that our robots are gathering for us,、um, specifically our spectral data, is rooted in this concept called、um, optical surrogacy. 
which is basically the hypothesis that optical data, um, such as spectral biology, um, or the fact that light captures um, information about plant biology, can be used as a proxy for different features about plant health. In our case, we use that um, our optical data as a proxy for asymptomatic disease. It could also be used to understand below-ground processes, or if you're using it at scale, it could be used to map biodiversity. Plantopia is brought to you by the American Phytopathological Society, or APS, to honor the United Nations celebration of 2020 as the International Year of Plant Health. Healthy plants can help us solve world hunger, stabilize the world's climate, protect our forests, and add beauty to our lives. Now, back to the show. So, what are some examples of things you can see with these systems? Can you see drought stress? Oh, yeah. So, you can really, so anything that impacts plant physiology, you can see. Whether or not you can always reliably differentiate it from other things that impact plant physiology, that's the million dollar question. And that's why there's an entire research lab at Cornell dedicated to asymptomatic disease sensing. Can you watch <laughs> things like photosynthesis in, in process uh, and tell Absolutely. how it's working? Absolutely. You can also map, um, you can see plant nitrogen, you can see plant phenolic. Um, to an extent, you can see the activation of plant defenses through different salicylic acid derivatives. Um, sugars, starches, leaf mass per area, LMA. And you can see the balance between LMA and nitrogen too to understand how a plant is allocating its energy, whether it's investing in growth or it's potentially investing in defense. These are all things that we can see through our spectral data. And we can sum these up together to understand how our pathogens are impacting our host. So this is like running your field through an MRI? A little bit, in a way. A little bit. Yeah, and, and I, I just want to highlight what Kitty said. You know, uh, for example, for the photosynthesis, I recently just uh, done one study using uh, so-called solar-induced fluorescence because most of the um, photosynthesis process will emit the fluorescent signals to the ambient and we will be able to pick up those fluorescent signals from the high resolution hyperspectral uh, imaging system and with that we can tell okay which plants tend to have you know very active photosynthesis activities or maybe just a, some reduced amount of photosynthesis with that probably be a very good early uh, you know stage probe for uh, plant disease detection. But also you want to take that in combination too with our other features as well, because photosynthesis is in a really specific metric, but it's also an incredibly broad metric. That's the power of using these approaches is that they are sensing something so specific, so biologically linked that um, are integral into the stress responses of lots of different things. So that's why we use lots of different sensing modalities, um, which you could discuss more if you want to. But this sounds like there's an incredible potential volume of information coming in. How does how do you separate this out to get what is really the important signals that that has an impact on decisions that can that can change an outcome, that can avoid a disaster? How do you, how do you separate all of this dogs barking from what's yeah. really important? That's a great question. And you's definitely going to have something to say here. But what I want to say is there's kind of two general approaches that we take, either um, dimensionality reduction through statistics, such as like machine learning and deep learning that you as an expert in, 
or we do kind of biological dimensionality reju- reduction, um, such as by quali- uh, quantifying foliar functional traits from our spectral data and looking at those instead of just the raw spectral data to see asymptomatic disease. And I'll let you take it away. He's the one that actually knows how to make sense of all this noise. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Katie. And exactly as Katie said, I think generally we have two ways. One, I would quantify as biological or maybe biophysical or biochemical ways to predefine key features from those high-dimensional data. For example, uh, the hyperspectral uh, imaging data would contain uh, over hundreds of uh, uh, wavelength information, but we very good to know uh, which wavelengths are correspond to which uh, biochemical or biophysical process. And with that, we can just directly extract those relevant wavelength information and just disregard others. And the other direction is exactly to use uh, machine learning or artificial intelligence technique in general to pick up those informations that statistically highly correlated to uh, some of the phenomena we are interested in. So with that, we may be able to even pick up a new insight from the data itself, rather than based on our current knowledge. We think the best, repro- well, the approach that we really um, have optimized and think is the best is a combination of the two. So we try to take the best from both worlds. Yeah, exactly. Especially many of the times we will find the new features from the machine learning or statistic analysis. And then we will be able to collaborate together and to run some biological experiments to uh, just validate them. And once this being validated, we will be possible to have new insights and knowledge from the biochemical and biophysical process. Yeah, and this is so important for something like disease too, because disease is this chaotic... um nebulous necrotic mess that results from a series of very regular and controlled plant pathogen interactions. So by breaking disease down into its constituent components via both biological and statistical dimensionality reduction, we can really get at the true features that are driving our ability to use sensors and robots for disease detection. Do we have examples now of where uh, these robotic systems are able to um, offer advanced warnings of diseases that uh, would not be detected in such a timely fashion through conventional means? Yeah, in my vineyard. <laughs> That's where you runs all his robots. Yeah, so Kitty and I are collaborating together to develop the so-called uh, bot which would be an autonomous robot equipped with hyperspectral imaging. And uh, uh, we are developing different uh, hyperspectral uh, imaging-based models for disease identification. And once we integrate these two pieces of work, we will be able to deploy the uh, you know, hyperspectral uh, robot in the vineyard to identify you know, pre-symptom disease. So this is operating in a single vineyard. Uh, what if we want to see what's going on in a region or a continent? That's where the satellites come in. Uh, so we call it the closed loop project. So on the ground, you is developing the phytopatholobot, and my group in the sky is developing um, a targeting algorithm, or we kind of 
what have we been referring to it as kind of the weather algorithm. What we want to do is have the robots teach the satellite where what how much disease is in any given pixel for validation, but also have the satellites teach the robots where to go. So we could use the information from the robots to get disease incidence and severity at a scale we've never had before, as well as integrating our environmental priors from tools such as DMCast that our gracious host here developed, um, and also other spectroscopic data from satellites. So that's the idea for the project overall, is that we'll have our satellites telling our robots where to go, as well as our robots telling the satellites what's really on the ground. In order to tell growers where the best likelihood of finding downy mildew or other diseases are at any given time is. So the, the resolution of these sensing systems has been improving at, at tremendous speed over the last 10 years. Oh, yeah. What, what can we see from space now, say with an, with an optical system? Uh, in terms of resolution? Can we see things, uh, say, the size of a set of keys that are lying on the ground from space? Well, what can I see with my, uh, you know, my citizen status versus what is actually possible is, you know, that's one story. But the imagery that we work with in our vineyards is 50 centimeter resolution. Um, and that's pretty good. So you could see Dave standing in the vineyard getting ready to go scout um, with this imagery and you could pick him out pretty clearly. And you could do that, you could see things at that resolution across an area the size of Eastern North America. Yeah. It's so crazy, it's, not right? just, it's not just the fine resolution, but that fine resolution applied across enormous uh, expanses of land. Exactly. So the 50 centimeter resolution imagery isn't quite the expanse of North America, but we do have imagery that's at the one to three meter range that is available nearly daily from across the entire globe. Yeah, exactly. I think that's another thing uh, I want to highlight from the engineering perspective. So many times I receive the most critical question is about the cost. So see, for the current uh, phytopasola bot, we would imagine about um, up to uh, $100,000 to build a fully equipped phytopasola bot to be able to do all those hyperspectral imaging with thermal imaging and also 3D LiDAR scanning for autonomous you know, sensing and the disease detection or maybe other management work. But that probably not be affordable to most of the growers, especially oh, when we talk about the small size to you know, mid-sized growers. And that's raised some particular concerns whether or not you know, we develop the technology you know, just dedicated to benefit those large uh, companies or, or private sectors. But actually, with the, uh, you know, more available satellite imagery, we will be able to transfer all the knowledge from those expensive research and experiments to the public. And that's how we really benefit the agricultural community uh, at large. For more information about the International Year of Plant Health, visit us at planttopiapodcast.org. Thanks for listening. Our show is produced by John Bryce. Thanks also to Mark Gleason, Jim Bradeen, Laura Isles, and Roshni Karate. I'm your host, David Godori, and you've been listening to Plantopia. Plantopia.